message this evening is entitled, Raising Your Children to Release Them in Parenting. And our scripture text is going to be from Psalm 127, and I'm going to read the entirety of the psalm and then focus particularly on verses 4 and 5. By way of review, uh, our journey through parenting has brought us from the calling of a parent uh, to your identity in parenting, God's provision for parenting, uh, prayer in parenting, the Word of God in parenting, the formative nature of parenting, applying discipline, shaping your child's heart, shaping your child's mind, shaping your child's character, and then last, protecting your children from idols in parenting. And I think one thing we've all realized as we've thought through this is that parenting is one of uh, God's most important callings on our lives, but it's also one of the very most challenging things that we could ever do in life. And when we think about what do we want for our children or for our grandchildren when they're on their own, and what do we want uh, to be produced in their lives when our primary work is done? What dreams do we have for our children and our grandchildren? What prayers do we pray for them? And I think too many parents are overly concerned with academics and athletics and uh, career success when they ought to be more concerned about spiritual health and character, and then those other things will come with it if we lay a good foundation for them, or at least that's what our prayer and our hope would be for the outcome. Uh, the Atlantic Magazine reported on a study titled, The Children We Mean to Raise, The Real Messages Adults Are Sending About Values. And the authors of the study that they pointed to noted a gap between what adults tell children they should value and the messages they actually send. And in short, the study noted that parents may pay lip service to character education and empathy, but our children report hearing a very different message. According to the article, while 96% of parents say they want to raise ethical, caring children and cite the development of moral character as very important, if not essential, 80% of the youths surveyed reported that their parents are more, more concerned about achievement or happiness than they are caring for others. The kids were three times more likely to agree with this statement. My parents are prouder if I get good grades in my class than if I'm a caring community member in class and in school. Parenting has never been more challenging. Raising children involves the challenges of life stressors like never before. And we want to be sure, at least on our part, that we're not providing uh, a contradictory message to our children by saying that we value one thing, but in reality, valuing another. Maria Miller wrote a piece for Focus on the Family entitled, Helping Our Teens Transition to Adulthood. And here's what she said in part. She said, a former coach from high school gave me profound parenting advice when my oldest was only three months old. He told me to raise my child in ways that would cause others and myself to want to be around her when she reaches adulthood. 
Miller says, I had never heard that before. It sounded so simple, yet so complicated. It was complicated because I didn't know what that looked like, and I didn't know how to accomplish it. There's no shortage of advice we know for managing parenting, especially from the early years. Everybody's got an idea about how to lay the foundation and form the structure and everything else. But when it gets to that journey where the kids are getting older and they're forming more of their own opinions and they're establishing themselves uh, independently, it requires a shift in our mindset and in our approach. And we've talked about that analogy of uh, moving from uh, the owner uh, to the agent to the fan and how that changes and how our roles change with our children through those transitions. But it is very important that we start even from the very earliest of stages, the very smallest of ages, with the idea that we're raising our children to release them. That's our goal. And the fundamental goal for Christian parents should be to guide their children, first of all, to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and then to set them on a path to maturity so that they can be brought to the full measure of Christ. I begin reading here in Psalm 127 and verse 1. Here's what Scripture says. I'm going to start with the first three verses. And we've read this in passing a couple of times, actually, through this study, but I want to come back to it again because it's very applicable to our study tonight. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, uh, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain, you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. This psalm is titled A Song of Ascents. Um, of Solomon. Uh, most people believe that Solomon was the author, but it could have been composed by David for Solomon. And uh, G. Campbell Morgan said, the strength of the Hebrew people in the past and all that remains of it today largely results from the keen sense which they ever cherished of the importance of the home and the family. The house, the city, labor, they're all important in terms of conserving the strength of the family. Now, this psalm opens with the idea that no house or home building is going to be successful unless God does the work building. And I think this signifies the raising of a family because in the Old Testament, we find this phrase or this idea used of a family spoken of as a house. The watchman is referred to here who has a role uh, to stay awake, uh, but God's work and his blessing are essential. He makes it very clear. He uses the phrase several times that it is vain or it is vanity to try to do this on our own. Children are heritage from the Lord. Uh, particularly, we want to focus now on these last two verses in Psalm 127. So look again, beginning in verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Now, the main idea here is that arrows are not meant to be kept safely in the quiver. 
God wants you to release the arrows of your children in order to make an impact on the world. Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. They have to be shaped and formed. They have to be guided with skill and with strength. They must be given care if they're going to fly straight. They must be aimed and given direction. In some ways, they're, they're launched only once. It's not like we get to launch and then we get do-overs, typically. Uh, they are an extension of the one who is launching them. And these arrows have potential for good or for evil. Now, you can see very easily how these parallels apply to our kids, uh, to our family structure, in that we have to carefully form the arrow. We have to give care to it so that it'll fly straight, give it aim and give it direction. Uh, we have to make the most of the opportunities that we have to launch our children into their direction in life. And they are, uh, for good or for bad oftentimes, an extension of us when we launch them. And their lives can be used either for good or for evil. So I want to suggest to you how you can prepare your children to be launched successfully into life. First of all, prepare your children to release them by building a solid foundation of who they are. Prepare your children to release them by building a solid foundation of who they are. The word that I would give you here is the word identity. Uh, the arrow shaft is the long spine of the arrow. The making of an arrow begins with that because every other part of the arrow is connected to that. And we want to raise our children to be confident in who God made them to be so that they will see themselves for who God made them to be and have an opportunity to flourish in their identity. Now, it's no secret to you that our culture at the moment that we live in is absolutely obsessed uh, with identity and especially in redefining what identity means. The world, as it stands, is currently encouraging people to look within themselves for their identity, and the tendency is to look for identity not only within yourself, but in the things that are around you. This is a particularly important issue because we're dealing with things that are fundamental to the nature of what a human being even is. And we're seeing this discussion about gender identity and the confusion uh, we even have a, a, now a Supreme Court justice who was unwilling to actually say what a woman is. And she, in fact, is a woman, but she would not define what a woman is. And we've just got all this confusion from the very highest levels of society. So for us, if we're going to have any chance to form our kids in that type of environment, we've got to give them an identity that is anchored in the creation order, and is founded in who they were created to be by God. Uh, self has been described as a sum of interrelated and interdependent parts. So it involves our experiences, our upbringing, our thoughts, our likes and our dislikes, our feelings, and more. And if we build our identity, first of all, on a shaky foundation of who we were created to be to begin with internally, and we can't even see who we are uh, fundamentally, 
And then, even if we go a step beyond that and we build our identity on external things like success and like money and appearance and everything that the world values, it's going to ultimately lead to disappointment because all of those things change. Now, who we are and our identity in Christ and who we were made to be in the creation order, those things don't change. But everything around us is constantly changing. So the, the world that your children are in, they're being told not only that everything around them is changing, but fundamentally who they are can change depending on how they feel in the moment. But God is unchanging, and God is reliable. So if we find our identity in him, we're never going to be let down. We're never going to be disappointed. And it's God who defines the identity of your child. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are created in the image of God. And a solid foundation of identity includes your child understanding that. And I think more than ever, especially those of you who have smallest children right now, you've got to be intentional about things that we would have assumed in the past Because I promise you the culture is not assuming or making the same assumptions that you're making. So the way they're being bombarded in media and culture and other things that are coming against them, you've got to be just as intentional to, to lay those blocks and to tell them this is who God made you to be. This is what a male and a female is. This is what it means to be created in the image of God. Here are some things that are characteristic of what it means to be made in this way and to be created in the image of God. And you've got to teach that, and it's got to be strong, and it has to be clear in their minds because even if you try to shield them from that, it's almost impossible to do because of the age that we live in and the environment and access to information and, and so on. So a solid foundation of identity with your child starts with those things, but then it also includes them knowing that they are loved. I believe that the love of God is the foundation of identity in that God's love is unchanging. We're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is the Romans 8, 38 and 39 mentality. No matter what it is in life, we can't be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you can teach your child and your children that they're created in the image of God, that they're made in a certain way because that's how God created them to be, and then that they are loved unconditionally and unshakably by their creator, then they can embrace that identity and no matter what anybody else tells them, no matter what the other outside voices are, they can come back to what you've taught them and what they understand from the scripture. And a solid foundation of identity includes your child also believing that they are enough. One writer described it by saying every person has some version of an internal star chart, uh, some internal way of measuring approval. And we learn that the more effort we put into something, the more stickers we get, so to speak. We gain corresponding praise from teachers and coaches and bosses and more. That's just how the world works. And those things can help boost our confidence and make us feel valued. But the problem is, if we don't get them, and that's what our confidence is being built on, 
we're going to find significant disappointments in life. And we want to help our children try to overcome that, that internal chart system, so to speak, that uh, the world is built on. And we want them to please God, and we want them to be a blessing to God, but we also want them to understand that God is not manipulated by our performance. That when God accepts them, and God loves them, and he cares for them, then he's going to be present in their lives, and they can found, find a great deal of confidence in that, rather than these other things that are continually changing. Uh, after Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, people asked uh, what work uh, God wants us to do. And Jesus replied, uh, believe in him who he has sent, John 6 and verse 29. So what Jesus was saying was, when we believe, uh, we're believing in Jesus who measures up. We are enough in him, and that's where we can find our confidence. Now, this is kind of a subtle temptation for us as parents because we do want our parents, we do want our children to be um, agreeable, and we want them to do what we want, what we think is important. And we want them to be successful, and we want them to do well at various things in life. But we can mix a message in there if we're not careful, and we can make them think that the reason we love them and the reason that we approve of them is because of what they're doing rather than who they are. We want to build instead on who they are so that what they do will be God-honoring and be successful in whatever realm it is that their capacity allows them to be successful. I'd say also a solid foundation of identity includes uh, your child understanding that they have a responsibility, especially when they come to Christ, to be light in the world, light shining into the darkness. It's God's vision for our families that, that we be light in the world. God in us and God with us and God through us. Uh, everything flowing out of our identity as children of God. So every child is created in the image of God through faith, is redeemed in Christ, and is made with a life purpose. We often ask our children what do you want to be? That's a common question. It's a fun question. They give sometimes more serious answers, sometimes sillier answers. Sometimes what they tell you they want to be, they end up not being, probably nine times out of ten. There are some rare children that they know from a very early age. They are locked in on what they want to be, and they end up doing that with their life. It just all depends. But I'm not sure that's ultimately the right question. It's okay to ask a kid that because it's just a fun conversation point. What do you want to be? A better question we should ask for them is who do we want our children to be? Meaning what kind of people do we want our children to be? And is that one of those early illustrations that I shared with you even in this message? Um, we want our children to be people that we would want to be around and that other people would want to be around and that can contribute in a healthy way to the world. And identity is important to be able to do that. Second, prepare your children to release them by giving them a clear direction to go in. The word in the first point was identity. The word in the second point is character. Character. Prepare your children to release them by giving them a clear direction to go in. Now back to the analogy of the arrow. 
the feathers of an arrow are what are called uh, the draw when an arrow's in flight. It keeps the back end of the arrow behind the front end, basically. If you get your, uh, get your uh, feathers wrong on it, uh, whether they're synthetic or, or maybe real in the old days, you got trouble because the arrow is not going to be stable. It's not going to go in the right direction. And an arrow without good fletching or without good feathers is undependable and it can't even be dangerous if it doesn't hit the intended target. And if the arrow has the right kind of fletching or feathers, it's going to fly straight. Listen to what Proverbs 10 and verse 9 says. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Romans 5 and verse 3 and 4 says not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now this idea of character comes from a Greek word that means to engrave, to scrape, or to scratch. So it's the idea of something that would leave a permanent impression. The character of your child or your grandchild is going to leave a permanent impression on the world. We are going to leave a permanent impression on the world. Our character is the result of deliberate choices. Choices have consequences. It's the result of purposeful training. How we're taught and how we're directed is going to bear fruit in one way or the other. And practice until the values that govern our actions are embedded in us. So character is a reflection of who we choose to be, and it is a reflection of the things that govern our behavior. To give your children a clear direction and build their character, you need to start by give, giving them a good example to follow. Now, we all know this, but sometimes we like to not think about it very much if we're trying to raise and form children. But we know that children learn as much by modeling or by following an example as they do by the words that we speak. And sometimes they act like they do because they're acting just like us. And that's the example that they've been given. And we want to give them the model of an example to follow that's going to be a good one. And we want it to be founded on their walking with the Lord so that they have a good example to follow. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 33 says, Follow the whole instruction that the Lord your God commanded you so that you may live, prosper, and have a long life in the land you will possess. In Titus, it's in the context of church leadership, uh, but in verse 7 and 8, he said, Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. So here's the sobering thought for you for tonight. All parents are an example to their children, either good or bad. Now the reality is we're all a mixture of both. And there are no perfect parents in human existence, but we also realize that a child's first and most important teacher will always be their parent or their parents. We also recognize that we're all going to make mistakes. 
A lot of it is by trial and error. Your children will learn as much by your mistakes as anything, particularly what you do after the mistakes, particularly as it relates to how you interact with them, as they will by your successes. And it's also a cumulative effect, not just isolated situations. So here's the pressure to take the pressure off of you. A bad day or a bad week doesn't define a whole lot of anything. So don't get caught up in the moment and think that because you had a bad day or a bad week that you're the worst parent that there's ever been. You're not. It's an accumulative effect. And the question is, are you learning from it? Are you growing in it? And is it helping you to move forward in your maturity as a parent? I would also say to you that children know if the example that we're giving them is genuine. They can so easily see through pretense and inconsistency and hypocrisy. And the reason a lot of church kids in particular uh, don't go in the way that they ought to is because of examples that they've seen in their own families that were inconsistent with what they were being told to do. So let's strive to be a people who are consistent in our motives and in our actions. And even in the ups and downs when we're owning things that we've said wrong or we're apologizing for things that needed to be corrected, we're showing our kids in that that there is a way to follow and there is a character to be developed. Teach them the basics of right and wrong as you do that because they cannot develop a moral compass Unless somebody in their life is giving them clear language of what God's word says is right and wrong. So remember I told you, you need to be teaching them with some definitive things about identity, especially. Same thing with character. You need to be saying directly, this is right, this is wrong. This is why this is right, and this is why this is wrong. These are going to be the consequences of your decision if you go down this road. This is why this is smart. This is why this is not smart. And all of that needs to be anchored in God's Word. Professor Daniel Taylor uh, noted that as a child, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who of course is of fame, was a a Christian leader who was executed for resisting the Nazis, uh, that he was greatly moved as a child by reading a book entitled Heroes of Every Day. It was filled with stories of courageous young people who with selflessness and clear thinking often save the lives of others, sometimes at the cost of their own. Apparently, shortly before his execution, Bonhoeffer was also reading a book entitled Plutarch's Lives, a book that explores the courageous character of ancient figures. Based on Bonhoeffer's example, Taylor asked this question. The professor asked this question. Can we doubt that Bonhoeffer's reading shaped his acting? including his decision to risk his own life to save others. Ethics are more formed by the stories with with which we surround ourselves than just by the rules that are drilled into us. Tell us what stories you value, and we have a good start on knowing who you are and how you're going to act in the world. What type of stories of character are you building into your kids So they will have something to identify with and something to emulate in their lives. To give your children a clear direction and build their character, 
teach them not only to know these things, but to put them into practice. Character is built through practice. They eventually got to build their own character. You can tell them everything. You can give them the good example. But it's going to be when they apply these ethics to their lives and they learn in these life situations that they're going to learn to navigate those teachable moments and circumstances and establish the foundation for themselves. So I highly encourage you to make the most of teachable moments because it's in those teachable moments or when you're evaluating things around you or circumstances in the world or maybe something that's going on with one of their friends or whatever this, this particular situation might be, you can use that and you can leverage it and it can be a very good teaching experience. And you're not just telling them, but you're starting to ask them questions. Now, now, what do you think they ought to do about that? How should she have responded to this? What might have been a better way to deal with that situation? Why would you not want to do something like what this person has just done? There's a myriad of things that we can use, but they all end up being applicable. Teach your children to live their lives in a way that is pleasing to and honors God because character is important. Then third, prepare your children to release them by showing them how to love. Our word in the first point was identity. Our word in the second point was character. Now our word is relationships. The arrow's knock keeps the arrow in place on the string until the bow is released. The great commandment is where God has taught us to love him and to love others. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 39. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was by an expert in the law. And Jesus gave two commandments that summarize the law and commands in the scripture. And that is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with your entire being and then to love as you have been loved. We dealt with in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 with our relationship with God. That was the first part, remember, the first set of commandments. And then what's the second set of commandments? It's our relationship with others. And so it is with the great commandment. Without a right relationship with God, relationships with others will not be right. Jay Younts wrote that we rightly focus on teaching our children to obey God, but we need to focus first on teaching our children to love God. The first things God requires is that we love him. And a faulty thought process may run something like this. I cannot force my children to love God, so I'll teach them to obey. Maybe I can require that. But in reality, if we've not taught them first to love, then their obedience is going to be limited. And it's not going to have the effect that we would want it to. Think about the children of Israel. They were hard-hearted. They complained. They were often ungrateful. But Moses told them that their first responsibility was to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And to the cynical, hypocritical hearts of the Pharisees, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God. Uh, to the pagan cosmopolitan people of Colossae and Corinth, Paul said that it all begins with love, and 1 Corinthians 13 being an example. The hearts of your children are no more difficult to reach than the hearts of the people that we find in the Scripture. 
And the message is the same today. It all begins with a love for God. And that doesn't mean that this truth is going to be easily embraced by your children. Uh, but it does mean that this must be most important because it deals with the heart. And parenting this way brings the gospel directly into the lives of your children. And in addition to whatever discipline is called for, uh, the most important thing is to teach them to love God. Now, you know what follows with this. If you're going to teach your children first and foremost to love God, then you better be giving them an example of that. What's in your heart? What do you care most about? Are you teaching your children to love their neighbor, but then living in a selfish way? We ought to be giving the example to them in our own devotion, in our own love for the Lord, in our own worship of the Lord. This is genuine. It's not hypocritical. It's real. And then we need to be demonstrating that in a selfless servanthood toward other people because relationships are important. And now that brings me to the fourth point. Prepare your children to release them by shaping their lives with a purpose. Shaping their lives with a purpose. The word here is mission. The arrow's point is the front end of the arrow. So we've heard commonly the phrase, that's the tip of the spear, for example. Well, now we're talking about the tip of the arrow. Someone said that salvation is not the end of our spiritual coaching work as parents, It is the beginning of leading them into a great adventure with Jesus. We want to show our children through our beliefs, our values, our worldview, what is most important. We want to show them what it means to live a life on mission. And this is not just the times when we serve on mission. That's actually the easy part. It's encompassing of all of life. How do we steward our resources? What do we really care about? Are we burdened for people to know and to love God? Are we burdened to meet the needs of people with the love of Christ? And as we teach them how to live on mission, we're essentially instilling in them this, this vision that's bigger than themselves. It's, it, it's, it's bigger even than their family. It, it, it's encompassing of the, the kingdom of God. And you remember Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's basically what we're trying to teach our kids. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in the lives of our children on this earth as it is in heaven. Winfield Bevins, uh, who's a church planner, wrote a piece entitled Becoming a Missional Family uh, several years back. And he gave in there in part a quote from Paul Tripp that I've referenced several times in the study as well, who said, my job as a parent is not only to teach my children these are the things you're supposed to do, but teach my children that they're supposed to be a part of God's mission as well. Uh, Bevins writes that mission is the duty of every Christian believer, young and old. We're called to be missional Christians who share the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness with the world. And I think as we think about what it means to be missional as individuals and as families, we realize that being missional doesn't actually begin with us. It begins with Jesus. Even as we celebrate this 
Easter season, we're thinking about Jesus as the first and greatest missionary, the one who was willing to come from heaven to earth and to live and to die and to be raised again for a lost and a dying world. And just as God the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world, He's sending us into our time and our culture. He's sending your children into the age that they're going to live in. And we've been chosen by God to live in this time, this generation that we are now in. And we want to fulfill the mission of God in that. So we want to shape the lives of our children with a purpose to share Jesus with other people. Sharing our faith is the duty of every believer. And we can share our faith together as a family. Uh, Remember, Jesus sent his disciples out, of course, two by two. There's not supposed to be any lone rangers in the kingdom of God. And as we serve him, we want our families to, to capture that vision. And that's one of the things that blesses me the most when I see uh, children uh, and families serving together. Because you can uh, have confidence that those kids are they're learning something from that because they're seeing the example of their own parents living on mission. And you can shape the lives of your children to, to pray for your family and for your friends and for their neighbors. Uh, for their, their friends that they encounter in their playgroups and in their school and their activities, all these things. Are they seeing them with the eyes that God would want them to see those friends and those neighbors with? And again, this comes back to us. Are we seeing the people around us with those kind of eyes? Are we seeing people as people that need that relationship with God? And are we doing what we can to be a spiritual influence on them? And teach your kids to care about meeting the needs of others. When I think about Jesus, I realize that he cared about both physical and spiritual needs. Uh, He didn't only preach to people, he also fed people. And uh, people want to know that we care. And I was thinking about even the event that we had yesterday. It's, It's always difficult to measure what the ultimate outcome is of an event like that. Uh, but we're adding value to the community. We're expressing to people that we want to serve them. We're sharing love. We're feeding food. We're just doing basic things that their kids can have a safe environment to, to play in and to have a good time as a family. How do you really place a value on that? Um, and when you're thinking about worldly metrics, it, it's, it sometimes could be discouraging even. But when you think about spiritual metrics, you realize that Nothing really ever goes to waste in God's economy. When you're sowing seeds, God's going to do something with that. And we want to be faithful in it. So teach your kids to look for needs in the community and to help them to begin to think about the importance of, of mission. Now let's bring these ideas together. Uh, raising your children to release them in parenting includes, for review, identity, character, relationships, and mission. Identity, character, relationships, and mission. Jay Crane said, raising your child well is hard, but learning to let them go out into the world and prove that you did your job right is even tougher. Those of you who are a little bit further along and maybe are in that grandchildren stage or beyond, you know this to be true. Those of us who are still in the middle of this are in the middle of the struggle. But this is the goal. 
if our children are physically and intellectually, emotionally able to be released in the world and there's not some particular limitation in their life that requires a different lifelong relationship, our goal is to raise them and to release them. I want to especially encourage you who have smaller children. This begins when they're young. You are progressively releasing them throughout their life as you're building responsibility. You're letting them go just a little bit further away from you at the playground. You're letting them venture just a little bit further out in that activity that they're involved with. And it kind of just pains your heart a little bit because you're seeing that they're growing, they're, they're increasing in independence. But that's the goal. And if you've done it well, when it gets to that key transition point in life, when they need to launch, they'll be able to launch. But how well they launch when you get to that point will not be dependent only on that moment. It will be a cumulative effect of how you've raised them and how you've brought them to that point in their life. So let me say just a few things in uh, conclusion. Parenting is more an art than it is a science. Every child is different. Every family has its own unique characteristics. Circumstances are not always the same. You can read nicely designed little parenting books, and it's not going to give you everything you need. Come back to the scripture, depend on prayer, trust in the spirit, and realize that it is a work in progress. Parenting is not a competition or a comparison. Doesn't matter what other people's families are doing, unless they're a good example for you to be able to follow. You're not trying to measure up economically. You're not trying to measure up by the excitement or the adventure that you're providing. You're not trying to measure up by any of that. None of that stuff matters. That's their family. Let them worry about their family. You worry about your family. It's not a competition. It's not a comparison. And oftentimes what you're seeing in other families is not the entire story either. You're getting whatever they want you to see and whatever image they're wanting to project to you. You just don't worry about that. You worry about your own family. Then I'd say to you, pray, pray, and pray some more. Because you cannot do this alone. You can never pray too much for your kids or for your family. You cannot guarantee the outcome of your children, but you can influence the process. You cannot guarantee the outcome, but you can influence the process. They're going to make decisions. They're going to do what they want to do. You know, what, you know that people do what they want to do, ultimately. They make all kinds of excuses and reasons and everything else, and it all just comes down to excuses and reasons. People do what they want to do, and your kids are going to do what they want to do eventually. Well, let's just pray that it will be something that honors God. And then next, only eternity will tell the full story of the impact of your parenting. You don't know in the moment. Sometimes we get caught up in these moments that are so discouraging and hard and dark even at times. And we think, well, boy, I really messed that up. There's no hope now. How, how am I going to dig out of this as a parent? But the encouraging part is only eternity will tell the full story of your impact in parenting. Thank God for the successes. Don't take for granted the little things, the 
as they say, the baby steps. Those can be baby steps physically or they can be baby steps spiritually. But hey, just thank the Lord for the successes. Thank the Lord when good things happen and, and you're seeing the fruit of your labor. Trust God in the challenges and in the failures because you're going to have both. Your life is mixed in with challenges and failures. Mine is, as well as successes. It's going to be the same for your kids in a sin-fallen world. And then I'd say to you, finally, keep your children close as, you, as close as you can. Leave no doubt as to whether or not they are loved. They might question a lot of things in their life, but keep them as close as they'll let you keep them. And always let them know that they're loved. You'd be surprised. I think it's changed somewhat generationally. But you'd be surprised how many people have told me through the years, my parent never told me they loved me. They never told me they were proud of me. They never told me that I was enough. And that might be your experience. I don't know. But it is a much more common experience than you would ever dream of. May that never be in our homes. And even if you came from a background where you weren't told that you were loved and that you were, they were proud of you and that you were enough, don't wallow in that. Learn from it and make sure that's not the experience of your kids. And let them know that. Speak words of life to your children to your grandchildren, they need it. Uh, be an encourager. And most of all, show them Jesus. And if you do these things, you cannot guarantee the outcome, but you can influence the process. And that would be what our goal would be. We have an incredible privilege to raise our families. And with God's help, we can be faithful. And that's my prayer for you that you'd not feel the pressure of the culture, you'd not be trying to compete with anybody else, you'd just be your family unit, you'd be at peace with that family unit, and you'd give your very best to the Lord, praying that at the end of the day, at the end of the story, your parenting will have eternal impact. And that's what our hope and prayer is collectively. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, I'm thankful that you've given us family, that you've given us guidelines in your word, principles to follow. There's so many things that we could have considered in this study that we maybe only touched on. And I pray, Lord, that uh, out of this would uh, come continued conversations among our church family, especially younger families that are kind of working through this and are, are raising kids, that they would lean on families that are a little bit further in the journey and gain wisdom and things to do and things not to do and gain prayer and encouragement from that as well. Lord, we are an imperfect people and we have imperfect families, but we serve a perfect God. And we lean on you, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. And I pray that you would help us. I pray you would encourage every parent who hears this message and that they would be reminded that it is by grace that we do these things and that just as you are patient and merciful to us and gracious to us, we can be the same to our own children. I pray that this church would be a place where 
grace-filled families are nurtured and built and that they're helped along the way and when they're broken and when they're hurting and when they don't know where to turn that there'd be somewhere here to turn that there would be a people who would embrace them and help them even in their discouragements and in in their fears uh, in life and God most of all we pray that Christ would be glorified in us and through us and that our homes would be uh, a light uh, for those around us that people would see that there's something different about us because of our faith in you and we pray all these things in Jesus name amen